0: If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show, although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing The Audiobook Club to your ears. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Season 3 of The Audiobook Club with John York, a podcast celebrating every aspect of audiobook production and the surrounding industry. The audiobook club is sponsored by Amplify Audiobooks by Pro Audio Voices. To hear more about the phenomenal movements Amplify Audiobooks is making for independent authors in the audiobook space, you can find a direct link in the bio of this episode, as well as a short but informative advertisement within this interview. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by the revolutionary author TJ London. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. How are you today?
1: I am good. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Thank you. So just uh, in terms of context for our listeners, we are recording this a day before Thanksgiving. Have you have you got a, any plans for Thanksgiving? Are got any plans for tomorrow?
1: Turkey like all Americans do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no,
1: actually I do. I get together with my family and like the traditional, we sit around the table, have the turkey, you know, enjoy all the all the dressings. And, you know, sometimes we'll tell a little historic story. Actually, I usually like spoil the dinner by telling them the real story behind Thanksgiving and all this stuff. They're like, must you be that person to spoil the event? But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get together with my family. And then the day after is notoriously Black Friday, where we all go shopping. So um, I have those plans too as well. So yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds really good. I do hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend there. Um, as is tradition on this show, I'd love to start off with a gigantic question. How did you start writing? Like, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you first began you know, pursuing writing like, seriously as, as a craft?
1: So that's that is a gigantic question. So you weren't joking. Um, and I'll try to like be the abridged version because it's like a gigantic answer. <laughs> and I think every author, it is a gigantic answer, right? Like uh, writing is a calling. Like we all have it, but it's when you commit to it. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people write, but, but there's a difference between writing and then becoming an author and putting a publication out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and committing to it. So I started writing when I was really young. Um, I was I always tell people I was published the first time in second grade, um, but I really was. I wrote this little Christmas poem, and it ended up in a local magazine and, and that kind of thing, so it was really cool. But um, I actually started writing more when I was in high school and wrote a little bit in college, um, but it was when certain things happened in my life that I actually committed to writing. Um, I went. My father um, got very, very ill, and I had some very sad events that actually happened in my life, and I uh, found myself in this position where I was forced out of a job also and was changing professions and was going through kind of a lot and I started going to counseling and I was with my counselor. She really wanted me to start journaling to try to like work through my problems and try to come up with a better way to deal with them. And I was like, listen, if I journal about my problems, they're just, this is going to get worse. So she's like, do you ever have any hobbies? Did you ever write? And I'm like, well, I used to write, but like nothing serious. So um, she basically like encouraged me to start writing some. And so um, she's like, when you come back and see me for counseling, because I was literally coming to see her a couple times a week, because I was going through some very serious events. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, when you come back, you better have something written for me. And I was like, oh shoot, what am I going to do, right? I mean, like, how do I do it this fast, right? Yeah. So I came home and looked at my husband. I'm like, okay, um, I used to write about the Revolutionary War, the American Revolutionary War, the war of colonial, like what, it resistance or whatever you think about it across the pond, how you want to call it? Um, and I used to write about World War II. I'm like, what do you think? And my husband's like, eh, write about the Revolutionary War. So I didn't take it that seriously. But what I did was I would come into counseling and read her pages from the story. And the more that I would read to her, the more she would start asking me questions. And what I didn't realize is I was inadvertently writing what was going on in my life, um, This these catastrophic events that were du- drastically affecting me. I was writing them in the scenes. And they were through the eyes of John Carlyle, my main character, Dallas McKesson. And so she, uh, every day I would come in to see her and read pages and we would talk about it. And she'd be like, why does he feel this way? Why is going on? But I was inadvertently writing about my life. And so then at one point she said to me, okay, let's let somebody read this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That was never the goal here. This was just about me trying to work through my problems as a tool because I recognized what it was. And she's like, no, no, I think this is good for you. I think this kind of expression and getting out there would be good for you. Mm -hmm. So I moot flash forward, went to some book events, allowed some people to read my stuff. And then they were like, wow, this is kind of interesting. And so through a series of events after that, I published the first book as an independent and really never meant to go any further and, you know, developed kind of a small cult following. And here we are today. So it was, it was a, that's a very abridged version of the story, but that's kind of the journey it took. And so now I I am an author. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That is incredible. That is incredible. And, and I, I always find it fascinating that how, you know, sometimes the, the things that we have inside that we don't necessarily want to talk about come out in such beautifully creative ways. And it can be so it can be so therapeutic, but, also, you know, so stunning as well.
1: Well, the interesting thing about it was I could be more honest with myself through my lead characters than I could be mm. to myself, to a counselor. Like mm. I could not express and, and and it's a detachment issue I have. It's part of my own mental issues that I suffer with that I am unable to, to handle on my, I just am unable to tap into that part of my psyche and I needed to, but through John Carlyle and Dallas McCaslin, these two characters, I was able to, to do that in a way that I could not normally. And, And many people ask me, they're like, you write really raw, very emotional, very heart-wrenching stories. Like, how do you do that? Well, it was me just trying to overcome what was going on in my life Mm -hmm. and using them as the medium. So it's easy to to be raw in that sense, because that's the only place you're being honest with yourself, right? And I Mm -hmm. still use that technique. I'm now five books in, I'm on my next book, The Rebel, and I still write for my counseling. And every one of my books, if I was to sit down and say, okay, Trace, where did this come from? Okay, TJ, you know, where'd this come from? Um, I would say it came from this, 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 and this, and I can actually point that out. and that is still my way of understanding. And I still see my counselor and we still work through things in this mm. manner. So it, it it really is a true expression of it, of what I'm trying to 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 overcome in my own personal journeys, if that mm. makes any sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely it does. Do you think that that's also why readers are loving it so much because they can feel the truth inside these characters?
1: I, you know, I, I do believe that it also is a thing that can turn readers off too, as well, because when you're as emotionally raw and vulnerable as that, mm-hmm. you take ple- people to places that are incredibly uncomfortable. And I respect mm-hmm. that escapism is a thing. Some readers want something very easy, very soft, very escapism. Mm-hmm. It, you're going to escape in my book, but you're going to escape into war, into difficult journeys, into human suffering. You know, you're going to escape into someone else's world. And I respect that some readers, that's not a journey that they want to explore in themselves or they want to explore mm-hmm. in their, you know, their their recreational reading time. Right. Yeah. So every so I own that, you know, my books can be incredibly impactful and moving. And and I have such dedicated fans, but I also own that there's a group of individuals who come into it and they're like, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's OK. That's the beauty of art. Right. We all find the expression and the uniqueness in each piece and, and, and we speak, it either speaks to us or it doesn't, but it doesn't make it any less valuable. You know what I mean?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and for the, and for the, on the flip side, just like you were um, saying there, there will be readers there who, who jump into it, just wanting to, to escape into the, you know, American revolution. And then suddenly go, hang on a second. This seems like it's, it's, this is impacting me. Like this could be just written for Mm -hmm. me because it's dealing with things that, that resonate with me and mm-hmm. that, you know that, that's such an amazing thing also
1: it's it's really nice for me when I get a reader who'll be like this just really moved me it's even mm-hmm. more exciting when sometimes my narrators who I, I'm very fortunate to work with some amazing narrators are like oh my gosh you're, you're killing me CJ you're really killing me with these things frequently it's it's, it's the amazing Tarla Langella, Langella who who often says that she does my female lead um but you know for me it's it, it, that's never my thought in my mind as I write my journey. It's just I'm working through whatever I'm working through and the page is my medium and it's my truth. Yeah. So I, 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 very much accept that, you know, not every book is for every person, not every story is for every person. It doesn't make the art any less valuable. Mm-hmm. So just like every performance of a, of an amazing narrator or an audio book is not for everyone. It, it, it serves its point. So um, I, I'm grateful that, you know, it's done this for me and hopefully it, it, it finds place for other people, but if it doesn't, it's it's not waste. You know, it's, the journey yeah. is there; it's still there. You know what I mean? It exists for a reason, and it did what I needed it to do. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, the American Revolutionary War—what is it about <laughs> this time period that gets the creative <laughs> wheels turning?
1: I love that this comes from uh, from a, from a, a British individual, like a UK, whatever, <laughs> across the pond. So, um, the war of American aggression, I guess. Um, right. So, it's funny because for 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 you right it's probably something you learned about like once in history and you're like yeah it's not that interesting right um but for us it's everything essentially you know it's where it got started in the United States but for me it's a very different piece so there's a couple different things first of all when I was very very young I fell in love with the time period from uh the the author John Jakes he wrote the book The Bastard and The Rebel and that's specifically it's a saga about the American Revolutionary War I was exposed to it on TV and I fell in love with it and I was like oh my God this is just the greatest thing ever mind you I was way too young to be watching it but I did um so then as I got older, my father and I were extremely close and he's since passed, um, but he was born on the 4th of July, our uh, the Independence Day, and he loved all things patriotic. He also served um, in the Army, in the American Army, mm-hmm. and he uh, took me to Colonial Williamsburg as a young girl and we went there together and it was a place that when I got there, it was like, so every historical author believes that they were reincarnated from their time period. We just do. Like all the regency girls believe they were in the regency and all and gals and you know all the people who write World War II, they're re- you know they're reincarnated. Well, for me, I walked through those streets and felt my my muse, my mm. energy, whatever spoke to me, it was there. And it's still one of my favorite places to travel to today, but ultimately I got my Polly, I guess, is the best way. And so it stayed with me. Even though I wasn't writing, I was always reading about the American Revolution, the Enlightenment, the things that led to all men are created equal, all women should be created equal, the ideals of that time period, like what they resonate, what they mean for our country today, what what we failed to do with the Declaration of Independence, all these pieces that play directly into what goes on in our government today, right? Mm -hmm. If you understand the past, you can prevent trouble in the future, but you can also understand how we got here. So it was just this it spoke to me in this way and it just fed me so that when i went to choose the story i ultimately did choose to write an american revolution it just called me and spoke to me and so and it worked you know i'm i'm kind of rebellious in all things that i do and it kind of fit and and it it and it just it fit like a glove the branding the idea all of the things so it was kismet it was it was just meant to be so um so yeah that's the long and short of it but you know that's how i ended up being you know, writing in the American Revolutionary War. So,
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So you mentioned there um, you were always reading, even before you were writing, you were reading uh, books about that <laughs> period. Also, just before we started uh, recording, you mentioned having your research books on the shelf behind you. <laughs> so what does research look like for you when writing in this series? Do you re- Are you constantly reading from that period even still? Do you have to revisit it before starting? Could you tell us a little bit about your research period?
1: Um, so I am by profession, a researcher. So my real hustle as I have one of those, um, is in research. So it's something that like is a part of my life every day. And it's Mm -hmm. something that I love to do. Right. So for me, um, when it comes to this, to, to my work right reading, like before I even started writing, like I read ferociously everything I could find about the American Revolution mm-hmm. and ultimately found the location in upstate New York that I write about the Battles of Fort Stanwix and uh, the Battles of Fort Oriskany. I mean excuse me, the Battles of Fort Stanwix and the Battle of Oriskany, and then obviously the Battle of Saratoga that came later. Mm-hmm. I read a lot about them, was very fascinated about that piece, and then just purchased anything and everything I could find. And then ultimately you always start broad so i always start with a broad overview and then i work all the way down to like actual documentation letters going to the locations all the things okay so that's kind of the start and then there comes the spark of the idea right because mm-hmm. when you're writing in history the story is so good historically i don't have to create it i just have to build my story within what's great right like henry the there's no need to rewrite henry the story, right? Like it's so damn good with the six wives. Like you just go with it and it's going to take you on a great story. This is the same thing with the American revolution. If you just bump around in the history, you're going to find your story, right? So after that, you have to learn all the nuances. Like, did they have candles? Did they have door handles? Like, did what did they wear under their clothing? So you start broad, then you learn your topic down to the data. Then you have to learn the day to day. What did they eat? How did they sleep? What did their houses look like? How did they pay for things? Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And that all comes from their, not only their books, but there's also like papers and letters and different things you can do. And then of course, there's always going back and visiting those sites you know, mm-hmm. trying on clothing, meeting with, you know, um, different historians. So now that I'm four books in, I spend a lot of time rereading things to re remind myself, right? Because gray matter, like it does slough <laughs> off and we do lose things, right? Um, and then also I make a lot of notes, right? I often have to go back and reread my own writing. Um, and then a lot of times it's extending on what I know. So I continue to keep buying more and more resources, reading, re more and more resources. So you are absolutely right, it's an ongoing process. the other thing is I'm a very big visual learner. Like I'm just somebody that must see something. Mm. So I have to physically read books. Like I can't listen to them if I'm going to really absorb them. Mm. Like I have to go to locations and touch fabrics and see clothing and walk through rooms. So I usually have visited all the forts I've been to, the castles I write about. I've been on the HMS Victory because I wrote about, you know, ships and, you know, went to Portsmouth and, and you know, have gone to, you know, met with, like librarians in Great Britain to talk about King George the Third, because I have to have that kind of connection. Now, yeah. you do all these things though, and then you get to the book, and you can't write that all there, right? Because you're writing a fiction. And as an author, you have to make a decision, right? Am I gonna tell a predominantly historic story or am I gonna tell my story in the historic setting? And if you're gonna do that, then you have to you you have to peel back the layers to get to what you actually need to give the reader because you're not you're writing a fiction so then you have to make so you do all this work right and then you basically probably use about this much of it yeah and you make a decision also sometimes to embellish because you have to to make your story work it is fiction um sometimes you have to get someone from point a to point b faster you know all the things um so research is complex and then applying it to the story is even more complex if that I don't know if I answered your question in the long yeah. and short, but that's kind of all of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating. I love the idea of make like visiting the places in real life, and yeah. just, are you are you walking around those places with the characters in your head? Are you placing them there in the <laughs> castles, in the forts, etc.? Is that how you're thinking this through?
1: So it's interesting. So one of the specific moment, I actually got the idea from the 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 location itself so one of my most famous scenes in the Trader takes place in Fort Niagara and there's a ball that takes place on the upper floors of the Marcolated house which is in Fort Niagara okay so it means nothing to anybody unless you go there it's an old stone building basically okay that the French once owned okay and now the English did but I was listening to David Bowie music. I had my headset in. I was listening to David Bowie music and I was standing in this ballroom and I could see this dance going around me, kind of like in the movie Labyrinth, right? Mm-hmm. And I was just like this is the room and the character was there with me. The two characters were and I saw it all play out. And shot my husband was shooting pictures and videos of me and I was shooting pictures of the room and then went back and made notes over it. Mm-hmm. Um when I was in Kensington Palace because we know King George III lived there, King George II lived there. Um in Man of War there's a scene where the character greets king you know goes to see King George II in you know Kensington Palace. Mm-hmm. Like I walked through those hallways into the different rooms and it was like this is what it's like to go see King George II. You know, they, and you can feel their, like the energy of the place. And it. if you're open to it, it will bring the muse to you. You know, if you're mm-hmm. in tune with your character and you're in tune with a place, you feel it. So, so much for me is about when I'm in that location and what it, what it brings to me, how it evokes the muse in me. And there's almost part of me that believes somewhere In the cosmos, the characters exist and they speak through you, like you're bringing them to life in a way, you know, they're using you as a vessel, you know, if you're, if you're truly in tune with the story. So going to those places is just that, that moment of getting closer to them and, and kind of bridging the distance between you and the, and that, and that moment. So, um, I love to visit locations. It just gives me so, so, so much, um, that I can give to the reader.
0: Yeah. I love that it was like you were saying essentially it was just this idea of it's so strong within you you're just you're just almost taking notes of what's going on. it's like it's it's right. just so flowing it's just you know you're such in flow um that is yeah it's incredible mm-hmm. now speaking about writing in the sense of your writing routine, are you an author who you know has a sticks to a, a certain word count every single day? do you stick to the same uh-huh. routine or do are you a little bit all over the place like how does it how does it work with your with your routine?
1: So um, I, I, not that I'm a fan of Ernest Hemingway's writing. Um, everybody likes it and everybody has their feelings, but I, I, I subscribe to his technique in writing. So he really believed in commitment to your writing. So you set a time, that's how long you do it for, and that's how you get it done. But he was also a commitment to, if you get into writer's block, you keep writing through it. And although you'll make a mess, eventually you'll come out on the other side, right? Mm-hmm. So I commit, I don't necessarily commit to a word count every night. I commit to a time period. So right now I'm editing. So that's very different. But when I'm in the creative writing process, process. It's I, I have another job. When that job is done at 6 30 at night after dinner, everything is done, I sit down in my chair and I will not leave or stop writing until 10 o'clock at night. So whatever mm-hmm. comes out in that time period, how many number of words or between the research or what have you, that's what I will do. And I'll do that every night. And then on the weekend, Saturday I'll leave myself some time, but Sunday it's the whole day. I'll start at nine in the morning and I work till five in the evening when I'm in the writing process. Mm-hmm. I don't stick to a word count. I stick to my schedule. And so and then I will break sometimes. So like I'll take like if I'm doing that for about a month, I'll take like a couple of weeks off and then I'll go back to it and then I'll get back into that regiment. And I, for me, that's worked the best because I so. It, anyone who knows my books, I write over 200,000 word books, and these are huge books, 700 page books. So word count to me is irrelevant Mm -hmm. for me. And I have the ability to do that because I'm an indie author, but I understanding that you never want to be too embellishing, but you need to tell your story. And that's the most important part of it, right? So Mm -hmm. for me, it's always about just sitting down, committing to the time and however many words it ends up being, if they're right, and they belong there, then that's what it is. So, and that's, that's how I always look at my writing. So that kind of explains how I do that.
0: Yeah. Incredible. We like to talk about audiobooks a little bit on this podcast as the title may uh, give away. Now you are no stranger to producing mighty audiobooks, full immersive experiences, (laughs) full cast projects um, with some of the best narrators in the entire industry. Um, What is it about, you know, that creating that immersive experience using a full cast the audiobooks. What is it about that, doing it that way, uh, that appeals to you?
1: So it's interesting. I, I just had this dialogue with someone the other day, and I I, I explained it this way. Some people dream in television and movies. I dream in audio. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is because if I wrote my book and, it, and, and it, it became a screenplay and it ended up on Netflix, I really ultimately will lose control of it. It's, somebody's going to take control, and I'm a control freak. I don't roll that way. <laughs> like, I want it mine, okay? But when it's audio, it's absolutely mine it is my words it is my story and my amazing narrators are giving it life right so of course it's the purest form of my work brought to life the way i'd actually want to see it if it was to be interpreted Mm. so naturally for me at least not every author this is their journey but for me I I could not hand it over to another person. I needed to be integrally involved, but I'm like, but if I'm going to do this and I have the means to do this, Mm -hmm. I want it performed like I see it, like I hear it. And if I love it and I put all my passion and I hire people, put all their passion, the readers are gonna be like, wow, this is amazing too. And they get the experience I really want them to have. So I've been very fortunate that um, my partner producer, um, she really, subscribe to that thought process like she was like, yes, I see this. I, I, I'm with you. I'm here, you know, and I was very fortunate because I, I, I do get to work with some amazing narrators and they, you know, saw the vision and they were willing to go there with me, too. Right. So um, it's there are many pieces, as you know, to audio that bring them together. But oftentimes it's not the author who's directly involved. So I've been in a very unique position, although I, I will say I have had to elbow around to get to this place. Um, but, um, I'm so fortunate that people that I work with just said, no, she's right. This, this could be really interesting and really fun if we all do it together. And so, you know, here I am now with these really huge productions and it's really exciting.
0: Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy that production side of things, getting, you know, getting in there within the thick of it, um, you know, in the, in the casting process, in the directorial process, really getting working with the narrators to get your vision across? Was that a fun experience for you? Because it, it can sometimes be a little stressful, can't it?
1: Well, I'm not going <laughs> to lie. That's true. So there, I will tell you, it is a love-hate relationship. It is truly because you are like as the author, it's a lonely process. It is always a lonely journey, no matter what. You must believe for yourself. You have to be the spearhead, the money, the everything. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you're the one person who has the vision and you have to make everybody, just like a, owning a business, just like being an entrepreneur, right?
2: Yeah.
1: And and sometimes when you can't get it executed or you're dealing with difficult issues or problems or people with different ideas, you're like, ah, right? Um, but also it's incredible because you better than anybody know what it should sound like right you know Mm -hmm. what you want you have the vision you believe you know and so there's nothing more exciting to me than when I get an audition from somebody who's so incredibly passionate it was like oh my god and they they throw caution to the wind and they give you this brilliant audition and then they I can give a perfect example of this but anyway you get the email later did I get the job did I get the audition and you're just like oh my god you know so there's (laughs) You know, we purposely set all my all my narrators up for success. We send all them background information, what we're looking for. Everybody gets the same to put them on the even playing field. They can all ask me questions. They can all dialogue with me. But there's nothing more exciting than when you get somebody who just gets your writing and they get the vision and you get this audition. Your, you know, your heart buzzes and your stomach churns and you're just like, this is it. And you know, when you feel that that you found the right person. And so casting to me is exciting. But it's also frustrating, too, because you have a vision and people are people and they they behave as they behave and they do as they do. And this business has egos, as we all do. And it can make things challenging, too, because mm. I'm not a separate entity. I'm not a separate person. You know, I'm someone so passionately close to the work. And so oftentimes you're like, ah, you know, but um, yeah. but that's the beauty of it, too. You know, it um, you're letting someone into your work. And so you have to. Um, you grow and you learn, oh. and you also learn to accept that other people have visions too for your work, and you find where it fits with yours too.
0: So, mm. Mm. so do you do you listen to audiobooks like in general, like you know, in, in your in your own time, in your own reading slash listening phase, are audiobooks something on your? on your register,
1: I do. I do. So it's interesting. I am a visual learner, and I mean that completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually have to read a book a lot of times before I listen to the audio. Mm. Um, one because I, I just take in information through my eyes more than I do through my ears. That's just how I am. Yeah. Um, also, I I am an author. I have to see the letters, the words, the punctuation, that everything. It's a granular. I can never look at a piece of writing again and not analyze it. Yeah. Um, once I've absorbed the story, then I go listen to the audio because I want to hear the performance i want to hear the delivery i want to hear the narrators i'm always looking at the next voice or the next person who inspires me too so um or something new or something different or something interesting you know it's it's also a study for me too as well so um so yeah i do um i have tons of audiobooks a lot of time but most times there are books that i've already read or narrators that i absolutely love or who are friends <laughs> of mine or friends who are authors who are friends of mine and um yeah. So um, I do love them, um, but I will be very honest with you. It wasn't something I I was really attracted to until I actually got into the audio business. So. Mm.
0: Yeah, I think there's because I think it's um, it was a bit of an unfair question, really, because it is kind of audiobooks is quite vague because there's so many different types. As you know, the more immersive yeah. experience, like the projects that you produce, it's, they are <laughs> very different from like your standard yes. audio But You know, it's it's more, uh, dare I say, more audio drama, more, you know, like it's everything, you know, you've got the effects, you've got everything kicking off in your ears. It's a lot more immersive. It's a lot more exciting. Mm-hmm. It's very different. It's, it's great.
1: I didn't know anything about that stuff, actually, when I came into audio either. Mm. Um, it was more a matter of, like, my first four narrators that I worked with on the Tory um Tarlangella Patrick Zeller, Marty Young, and Shane East, the, the four of them must have found the drama themselves, because actually, I was with a different producer, and I didn't have as much involvement with the first book. That was the mm. first one we did. They came in and must have found the drama in it themselves, because they came out just full stop with these incredible performances. And I remember going, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And when I listened to them and then I started listening to on duet style and all the different styles, then I realized, oh my gosh, like this is what I should be doing. This is where I need to go. So I really have to give credit to my original narrators, my original four, as well as whatever they saw in my writing and in my story, they felt empowered to elevate it to this next level that I didn't even anticipate. And that was a gift, and I'm constantly telling Tara and and Marnie and Patrick. I don't work with Shane anymore, but um, when I the other three that I still do work with, mm. I'm constantly telling me, "This is about you guys. You really set the bar." But the truth is, it really was us together. Like something in my work and in my inspiration and sparked theirs, and together we kind of fused. So, um, it, it's it's. Uh, it's been such an amazing process and I found fans I just don't think I could have in the physical book world that I was able to find through them and through this medium so
0: yeah yeah amazing so The Rebel a new title release
1: yes (laughs) could you tell
0: could you tell our listeners just a little about what they can expect from this new release
1: so you're the first person to ask me about this. This is great. I've been waiting. Like I am a no holds bar kind of gal. If you ask me, I'm, I'll tell you. So yeah, I'm really excited. So full stop, I'm just going to be a little dirt here too, okay? okay? So I was supposed to write another book about John Carlyle. So it's a saga. So it's an ongoing story about a British soldier. Haha. Um and he during the American Revolutionary War, um and his name's John Carlyle. But In my life, as I write from counseling, um, there were some events that happened that drastically separated me from my muse Um, and some of it happened during the pandemic, very difficult years. Um, Some other things happened in my profession that I was no longer able to tap into John Carlyle and I had another story and more story to tell. I I just couldn't get there. So uh, my producer, she was like, why don't write a book about Alexei McKesson? He's actually the rebel villain in the story. So the funny thing is the hero of the story is the red coat. And the, one of the villains of the story is the rebel. Um, his, his name is Alexei McKesson. And she, I'm like, oh, so this is selfish. You want to read about him? And she's like, yeah, I do. And so my producer was the same way. She's like, why not write a b- book, about, book about Alexei? And I, I didn't like the character, to be very frank. As a matter of fact, I hated him. Hmm. Had never intended to write a book about him. But for some reason, I could reach my muse and get through what, what drama or personal str- struggles I was going through through him this time, and eventually was able to get back to John. And so this story is about my character. He is he is actually a white man. His mother is Russian. His father is, is Scottish. But he has chosen to become a member, a warrior of the, of the people of the Standing Stone, which is the United Nation. And he is also a, a confirmed rebel. So he's very much on the American side, okay? And this character has done a lot of naughty deeds throughout the story, thwarting our rebel, our, our, our red coat hero, but he's also been involved in, you know, stealing weapons in war profiteering different things, okay? Well, ultimately he ends up in a situation where he almost gets caught. And so he kidnaps this woman, basically, to ransom for some of his men back, who have also been taken prisoner by the British, okay? And so he takes this woman, and he's trying to get her to Fort Stanwix, which is in the middle of upstate New York. He's taking her there because he wants to give her to the rebels and force them into making a deal with the British, because it will show as a sign of goodwill to the Oneida that he does this, okay? Mm -hmm. So he's kind of a dastardly character, he's kidnapping this woman, That's a bit of enemies to lovers, as we see, but it's also, we uncover this woman's very difficult story. We find out that she is a rebellious woman who's been through a lot of things in her life. And this is not her first rodeo. And she's also not going to go quickly into that good night. She's not just going to be taken prisoner. She has her own, her own plans and what she's trying to do. And so these two people are going to kind of collide. Their worlds are going to collide. And we and those who've already read the Turncoat, they've seen the character Wilhelmina and they've seen Alexei, and they know that some things have gone on between them, but they don't know how that happened. So now we're going back in time, and this book runs alongside the traitor and the turncoat, and we're starting to see what Alexei was doing during this time. And so I've kind of taken the reader back in time to find out what kind of dastardly deeds he was up to.
0: So. Amazing. So that dreaded question when when can listeners, when can readers get their hands on, on the rebel?
1: So the physical book, ah, this is also a first, wow. I'm really breaking lots of news here. So it will be coming to physical book at the end of January, 2020 2024. Um, it's, it's, with my proofreader right now, it's all about getting it formatted and uploaded. So if it ends up being like the first week of February, don't hate on me. But it will be, it will be then. First quarter. Um, the audiobook, I've actually already just solidified the cast. I'm so, so excited. We are going to have, I think, 12 cast members. So excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, some of the old favorites and some new ones. And we're gonna go live with the announcing the cast around when the book drops, the physical book drops. The audio starts recording in June and it should go live in august of 2024 so um i'm super excited yes i actually have to book my cast like a year in advance because i have so many people and these guys are so busy that yeah. you know i gotta be like okay i need you here at this time with me um so they so they plan for me and my books are big so they know they're going to take some time and and some work to to get through and to read and all the things so yeah
0: yeah oh amazing well next year next august it would be amazing to have you back on with maybe a few of the cast members and we can chat about it on the release that'd be amazing oh my gosh
1: (laughs) would be so fun i mean people already know adam gold right he is going to be my alexei McCusson. um that's well known he did my previous book and obviously samantha bretmore the fabulous samantha bretmore is going to be my female lead um they're oh my gosh they're so exciting and um it it, i'm just i wish i could tell you about the cast right now i'm so excited oh my gosh i've just had so much fun casting this group and um it's they're just they they've come in with just such incredible energy and they haven't and you know i'm now and going into book five so there's a nice long history that you know it, it's kind of fun when when we send out our nbas and people you know find out that it's a tj Lennon book i get lots of come you know i get people are like oh this is exciting so it's really fun now because i think most people know when they come into it it's going to be an interesting experience and um yeah. we're going to have some fun so
0: yeah that is so cool that's so cool yeah so how good are you at taking time off are you, are you are you good at are you good at taking down time
1: well no so I'm not gonna lie to you I don't really take time off it's funny I was in Austria for vacation I went to Austria and Germany for two weeks or vac- actually almost three weeks for vacation and i listening to auditions on the train from like Munich to Berlin I'm not gonna lie (laughs) so I don't but you know what though I I, I'll sleep when I'm dead I guess you know I mean like be really honest I I love I love the collaboration I love the people that I work with I love what I do I even love my real job to be very honest with you so it I mean maybe this is the wrong thing to say or maybe it's in a, a very American trade I don't know but like I never not like working like I enjoy it you know Mm. I mean sitting on a couch and reading a a book even a book about the American Revolutionary War which technically to some people would be work is is you know it's a pleasure I mean if you can if you can do what you love then you know then it really isn't work anymore right
0: yeah yeah absolutely what are your non-negotiables
1: non-negotiables you mean like in in book writing and life and what do you You mean that's non negotiable
0: in anything, like, like you what come what comes to mind when I ask that question?
1: So, non negotiables um, okay, I don't dye my own hair, like, someone has to color my hair because if I mess it up, it'll look really bad. Um, so that's a non negotiable. Um, non negotiables, respect like, hmm. when I work with people, when I work, when I, I always show respect and I, I expect it back. I think respect is something that we really lack a lot of places in this world, you don't have to love people. You don't even have to, have to like them, but respect is something that you give every human. And if you do it, then things are, you know, there would be more peace in this world. So I think respect mm-hmm. is non-negotiable. I think um jewelry is non-negotiable. Like I just love it. I have to have a lot of it. I have to adorn myself. I mean, I think, um, I think I think laughing at yourself and in, in, in humility mm-hmm. is non-negotiable. I think if we all could just stop and laugh at ourselves a little bit, we might be open to an experience to learning something new oftentimes i run into people in this business who think they know everything or they have an ego or what have Mm -hmm. you if they would just step back and open up and have a little humility they could have an experience Mm -hmm. i think humility is non-negotiable and i think vacation is non-negotiable like i think the whole world needs a vacation after the pandemic like we all need to like just go to florida or wherever your your dream place is and just like take five minutes and like see something beautiful and if they did you know then they can regroup and come back with a little bit of humility with respect yeah. with you know love for humanity and stuff so yeah. those i think are my non-negotiables in life and yeah. and and champagne because and champagne. <laughs> that's just I, a basic thing like yeah i love champagne <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it. I'm with you on that one. So I want to ask you a question that is my most hated question on this show. It brings the most groans and also so Ooh. full. So don't worry if you can't answer it or you don't want to answer it. I should say. What is a question that you wished you were asked more?
1: Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, and actually, I don't hate this question because I think I, I think it needs to be asked. What are what are the hard parts of being an independent author? Mm-hmm. What are the truly difficult challenges you face, and the hard things about being an independent author, both mm-hmm. in the audio business as well as in um, just the physical book business? What what mm-hmm. what what are the real challenges you face? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think a lot of people times people don't really want to hear what those are, you mm-hmm. know, and. It, because it's very easy to to be really excited about books and things like that. But mm. there's a side of this business that is incredibly challenging and and heartbreaking and difficult. Mm. And a lot of times we can't publicly speak about it because we, you know, we, there's a lot of things we understand that you don't say publicly for various reasons. Um, but they happen behind the scenes. And so we we professionally keep them to ourselves and we move on and we we keep on a mm. bra- brave face. But there are aspects of being both an independent author, both in the audio world as well as in, in the physical book world that are extremely challenging
0: yeah Mm. that is a really really good question and you're absolutely right that people don't talk about it um enough and i think that i i don't know if it's the same in your experiences um i imagine it's from what you what you've just said is that the in this creative pursuit that you know i I know as an audiobook narrator myself is that the we get a lot of pushbacks, we get a lot of no's, we get a lot of, you know, barriers, and we just have to pretend, you know, on social media, to our friends, to our parents, to our loved ones, you know, for the most part, it's all, yeah, it's going well, you know, yeah, it's going good. You tell everybody the good parts, but then you keep a lot of those challenges to yourself. I don't know, can you can you resonate with that?
1: I can, absolutely. You know, some mm-hmm. of it is that, you know, um, there is a whole side of The financial side of being an independent Mm -hmm. author the forward investment Mm -hmm. what will you ever make your money back particularly when we look at the audiobook world and how much is taken on different platforms and those kinds of things i'm not going to make any judgment calls i'm just going to say those things Mm -hmm. there's a financial challenge about being an audiobook and as well as a Mm -hmm. physical book producer um there is the the nose right um there is the the hard reviews Mm -hmm. um there is you know um Anytime you allow someone into your art and you oftentimes have to deal with their vision or or they disrespect on your vision and you have to remain professional in those moments, Um, there are people that you pay who don't always follow through on the jobs that you pay them for Um, there are you know people that you work with who you expect a lot from and they they don't deliver and you can't speak on their life or and you don't want to, but those Mm -hmm. things happen. So there are so many things that go on behind the scenes. A book is a beautiful baby that's born, whether it be audio or physical, but there's a whole world that goes on on the other end that people seem to think that they know, but they actually don't. You never really know what's going on in an author's world when they write a story, what they went through to put that book on the market, mm-hmm. You know what they went through when they chose those narrators, what they meant when they chose to choose another, why they replaced one, why they worked with a different company, why they moved around. Like people, for some reason, sometimes think they deserve to know those things, but the fact is yeah. that you know, just like an actor or anyone else, you have a private life, you know, you have things that you go through. So. Um, so you put on you're always putting on a very brave public face you know and trying to maintain some distance and it's hard um so that that's a side of it i think that you know we all secretly know it's there like as a narrator you understand i'm sure and as an author we also do and and so sometimes there are some things that i think we should talk about but we don't and mm. and it's hard it's it's really really hard at times
0: yeah absolutely have you i'm sure that will resonate with so many of our listeners, many of whom um, are authors. And I just have you any sort of advice on how they can, I don't know, be. I, I suppose it's share, right? I suppose it's get better, uh, uh, get involved more in their community, and be more honest and 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 be there for one another. Is that? Is that?
1: I think it's a couple different things. I think it's one of those things is that humility and kindness. I think it starts with us, right? Trying to understand everyone's journey is difficult in this business, whether it be producer, editor, copywriter, all the things. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's first of all, having some kindness and humility and understanding for everyone else who comes into our sphere. Mm. I think some of it is education. We do need to speak and be at different events together and share. But there's a professional way of sharing. And then there's a vicious way of sharing. Understand that good people do bad things things happen. People disagree. It doesn't make anyone bad. It just means things happen. Shit happens. Shit happens in our world. I'm not, you know, if I was judged on my worst day, I'm sure there's somebody out there who would really hate on me. But the truth is, is that I think we all, you know, need to say some of these things you need to watch for. Understand that these are some of what the business looks like. If you make these decisions, these are some of the things that you may have. So there's definitely a very objective way to provide education to each other and to dialogue um and and those things need to happen more whether they be you know and then we also shouldn't be judged for those things you know fans shouldn't you know blackball us or or other people other authors i mean we should be able to be professional and constructive but also not fear for our professional well-being because we're like listen these are the challenges i faced as an independent author, you know, no offense to anyone else. These are just the things that I face so that we can have those constructive dialogues and be professional about them. So I think there needs to Truly, be a safe space. I think people like to claim we have safe spaces, but the facts are the facts. I think we truly need to like be objective and be able to have those dialogue. And I think there needs to be cross talk, right? I think there needs to be talk between narrators and authors, not just narrators and production companies and authors and production companies. Get the production companies out of the way sometimes. Sometimes it needs to be narrators and authors. Sometimes it needs to be all three in the room. Um, sometimes it needs to be publicity and authors together in the room. Sometimes it needs to be editors and Authors and people in the room, because then when we understand each other's struggles, then we can be more respectful and, and, and mm-hmm. impact the visit, the business. But we also need platforms in the in the room too. We need some of these bigger platforms that sell our work and sell your work in the room, listening to our dialogues. You know, mm-hmm. because right now it's kind of like there's a wall sometimes between authors and creators with the platforms, and you just take what they give you, and you like it or you leave. Yeah. And. That's not fair either. So there needs to be dialogue and not just capitalism, because right now that's at times what it feels like, just capitalism. And it sucks the energy out of the creative abilities of so many brilliant people from authors to narrators, to editors, to everybody. So, Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my, you know, I don't need to be like a, you know, like a a sullen person or a sad person in this but you know it is what it is right
0: no you are absolutely right and i couldn't agree more and those conversations need to happen and you're absolutely right as well about the brick wall between you know we, we see these you know bigger platforms these bigger corporations and such and it's just like shouting against a brick wall a lot of the times and it can be so discouraging and you know just uh, it's it's some 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 discussions need to be had you're absolutely right
1: and we're we're humans right like we all are struggling hmm. against ai i understand that yeah. that's coming those kinds of things but the truth is we need each other the narrator can't Narrate the production company can't produce, and the author can't create truly without you know without all three of us. So Mm -hmm. we're all relevant. It's not one more than the other, you know. Mm -hmm. And so we need to unify in this way. Unfortunately, you're an independent group, right, as narrators, and many of us are independent here as authors as well. As my friends who are are traditionally published, but we need to be a unified group and or Mm -hmm. create. It shouldn't just be groups of narrators getting together and groups of authors together. It should be no, we're all in the room together and we're all working together for the same goal because I mean, we're we're the creators we're the art they have nothing for their platforms without us right yeah so we 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 need to work together with them and with these platforms you know so um, I'm not trying to speak out against anybody again not taking any stance on anything I'm just trying to say that like it, it takes us all to make great listening and great audiobooks and great books and stuff yeah. like that so we just need to communicate so
0: yeah Like. You- I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, as we go towards the end of this episode, I would love to ask you if there's anything that you're working on right now that is bringing you excitement. Of course, I know that we've already talked about The Rebel, but just a simple, just, you know, an, an overview of what's going on right now. What's, what's like the number one goal for you right now?
1: So obviously the goal is to get the audiobook out, right? Uh, mm. To get that going and mm. to get um, The Rebel out. But i had an incredible spark of a side branch story um so my first my pro prelude or my prequel is called Mm -hmm. man of war and it was a royal navy story that took place before my saga and so one of my narrators, um, he incredibly inspires me when I listen to him. I will say, if they make a shout out for him, I love John Hartley. I love his work. I think he's fantastic. Um, he plays one of my characters that w- he just did such a brilliant job in um, his narration on my last book, The Turncoat. He just inspired my next story. So I'm so excited to get through what I'm working on because I really want to get over to that story because something in listening to his performance and listening to the audiobook just really sparked this other story idea in me and so it's 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 and i was just in austria actually so um, I, I, I got really excited about the Habsburg court and about Maria Theresa, um, the the Empress, the Kaiserine of um, of the Habsburg uh, you know Emperor, Empire at the time. And I got this brilliant idea around that character and that and that place in court and this storyline. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get to this story. So I've been leaving notes for myself all over the place, and I'm ready to get into it and and you know create this amazing story. But so it's it's one of those fun ways that which location, right? We talked about location. Yeah my own muse and then hearing this incredible performance in this voice that just really inspired me into stories. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm really excited yeah. about. And that book will be called letter of Mark. Um, and so it's going to be another one. It's kind of a standalone, but I'm super excited and it kind of really came from all these pieces together and just really fed my inspiration.
0: So. Yeah, that yeah. sounds amazing. Fantastic. Well, I for one cannot wait <laughs> to, to check that out. Well, this brings us to a close for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of the links to the books mentioned, audiobooks and social media accounts will of course be linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, another huge, huge thank you to TJ London for joining us. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman, yet you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.